Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Good to see you here today. Hey man, special shout out to all of our campuses here in the DFW area. And if you're joining on our online campus, we wanna say, man, we're so excited that you are here today. And here's what we know, is that we have been praying for you for this specific moment that God would show up in a real way today. So know this, that you've been prayed for. We're so excited that you're here. Hey, we have been in the middle of a series called Hills and Valleys. And if I haven't gotten to know you yet, my name is Chris, and it's my privilege to get to jump right into this series today. And I wanna tell you this, that if you have missed any of the past weeks of this series, you need to go hop online, lakepoint.church, click the messages tab, and go ahead and listen to the messages from the past couple of weekends. You don't wanna miss those things. But what we've been doing is we've been taking these stories of the hilltop moments through scripture, but also the valley moments, the hard times, and we've been unpacking them, just walking through scripture and unpacking. So we got a lot of Bible in store today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you're on your Bible app, go ahead and flip there and hold your place there. Now, As I was studying this past week for this sermon, what I realized about myself is that I absolutely hate waiting. And I wanna know if I've got anybody in the room here, any of our campuses or online, that man, you're in the same spot that you're like, oh no, no, that's me, Chris. I hate waiting with all my heart. So we're gonna do a little bit of a quiz. How many of you, by a show of hands, oftentimes your front porch looks like this? Raise a hand, raise a high. Lock the elbows, Pastor Josh says, commit. Hey, if you're online, punch that like button right now if this is you. All right, now, how many of you, this is what your house looks like at Christmas time? How many of you know that's right? (laughs) Hey, just all my neighbors that are hanging out with us today, forgive me that my house can be an eyesore at Christmas time, all right? Like, so this week was funny. I got an email from Amazon, and they're like, hey, it's time for your Prime membership to renew. And I didn't realize that this thing has gone up in price, and like, it's gonna be like 150 bucks for your Prime membership to renew. So I start researching it a little bit, and I didn't know this, and you might not have either. Did you know that you get free shipping through Amazon, even if you're not a Prime member? It just extends it, that it's like free five to seven day shipping. Did you know that? So I didn't. But what did I do this week? I ponied up the 150 bucks because I want that thing at my house tomorrow. I'm not waiting five to seven days. Free two day, that's what I'm about. So I don't know if any of you are like me, I hate waiting. Now, this might be you. How many of you, by a show of hands at all of our campuses, When you drive up to a fast food joint and you're going through the drive-through, if that line is too long, it frustrates the heck out of you. Raise a hand right now. You're sick people, you know this, because literally, you're in line for somebody else to cook your dinner in about 60 seconds, what would take you 30 minutes, you're in line for this to give you a bag of food through your window and you're frustrated that you're having to wait in line at Chick-fil-A. Anybody ever been there, right? We love that Christian chicken, don't we? Let's go. Now, how many of you are like me? You're cruising along in the fast lane when all of a sudden you approach a car that's doing the unpardonable sin, the speed limit, right? 
to make matters worse, as you get close, you realize they got a dadgum California license plate, right? Now listen, 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 I am kidding. All my California brothers and sisters hear this. Hey, we have a lane specifically for you. It is the right lane. Leave the left one for all of us Texans, all right? I'm kidding. California, I'm kidding. We'll give you all the middle lane too. I'm kidding, all right? Like, what is it about us though, for real? What is it about us that makes us so terrible at waiting? That maybe for some of us, man, we have been the benefactor of a really long season of waiting that didn't turn out quite the way we were hoping for it to. Maybe it was like a test result that you were waiting on month after month and then it finally came and you realized that the news was devastating. Maybe for some of you, man, you've been single for so long and you're waiting on Mr. Right or Miss Right and it's just a continued cycle of bad relationships and broken hearts. Maybe like for our high schoolers in the room, you sent off the application to the Dream University only to get the letter back with the word declined in it. Or maybe some of you are like me, you've held out hope that one day we just might win a championship. (laughs) Y'all, it ain't gonna happen, we are cursed. Now, here's the good news, I've offended all the Texans, I've offended all the Californians, we can start the sermon now, all right? Uh, But man, as I was studying this passage this week, I realized that this story is all about the waiting game. And I think that's why at some points it can make us uncomfortable is maybe we don't really realize what's happening in the midst of our waiting. And I'm gonna jump to the end of the sermon. Like God's not wasting your waiting. That if you know Jesus, he is not wasting the waiting periods of life. And so today we're gonna hear a story that's all about the waiting. And it opens with this character, a guy by the name of Elijah. Now, here's what you need to know about Elijah. That in the Old Testament, this is what happened before Jesus, there were these men and women called prophets or prophetesses. And Elijah was a prophet, and what the Lord would do is he would use these men and women to be the spokesperson, the mouthpiece for the Lord. So they would bring the news that needed to be said on behalf of the Lord, and he's gonna have to deliver some news that's not gonna be well received. And let me tell you the other players in this story so you know who our characters are. There's an evil king, a king by the name of Ahab. Now, if you Google villains in the Bible, Ahab's name is gonna be in the top 10 list. This is a dude that is a bad, bad king. He's worse than many of the ones before him. One of the things that he did is he turns the nation of Israel away from from praising and loving the true God, Yahweh, and he begins to make them worship a pagan god named the Baals. Now, on top of that, he marries a woman named Jezebel. And to get a real good peg of like who Jezebel is, this is like the housewife of Dallas meets like Jeffrey Dahmer, like crazy mixed with serial killer, like that's Jezebel, all right? And so they meet each other. And it's like their love story was written on the pages of hell itself, that it is not one of those things you're ever gonna see a Hallmark movie made about their story, okay? So they go about life in a very, very evil way. They begin murdering the prophets of God. They begin seeking out all of those who are against them and trying to turn the people to their wicked ways. Listen to what 1 Kings 16 actually says about Ahab. That it says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. Like, that's a pretty tall order. That if you look at the lineage of the kings of Israel, you've got murderers, you've got idolaters, you've got swindlers and crooks. That the lineage of the kings of Israel is not a very clean cut crew, yet Ahab is considered worse and has done more to anger the Lord than any of the kings before him. And what we're about to see is this moment that takes place where Elijah has been given some news to tell Ahab by the Lord. 
He's given this evil king bad news that's coming because the Lord's anger is at hand. First Kings chapter 17, verse one. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, if you think about what this meant for the people of those days, if there was a drought that lasted any length of time, the crops would begin to suffer, the animals would begin to suffer. This is a death sentence for some of the people of this day if it does not rain. So this news that Elijah's given to King Ahab would not have been well received. And that's probably why the Lord said, hey, Elijah, after you tell that, you need to go hide. So Elijah runs to the brook where he begins to hide for this next season of Elijah's story. And so Elijah enters into this waiting period, but then something really miraculous happens. That if we had time to unpack 1 Kings chapter 17, you would hear the story after story of God's faithfulness. Of how that in the midst of the waiting, he was faithful to take care of Elijah. That he sent ravens to feed Elijah. Like me and you, we have Uber Eats. Elijah had ravens. That's just way cooler, all right? That, that he sent the water in the brook, and when that dried up, he gave other miraculous ways for Elijah to be well taken care of. The power of the Lord was on display for Elijah, that it always is for those who are in waiting, that God is sustaining us and carrying us through the moments that are the hardest in life. And so you begin to feel that for Elijah, but then something happens that it's like, man, the weeks became more weeks, became months, the months became years of Elijah's waiting, and year after year after year, there was no rain. And I wonder for some of you if that's the season that like you're seated in right now. You're like, man, I'm in this season of spiritual drought. Man, I've been praying for that prodigal child that's far from Jesus and I just don't know if they're ever gonna come back. Maybe right now you're walking through a season like of infertility and time and time again you're going, God, would you just give me a child yet you're in a season of waiting and it feels like it's disappointment after disappointment. I gotta feel like that's what Elijah was feeling in the season of waiting when month after month no rain would come. And so I just wonder for us, man, what would we be able to do if we began to see the way the Lord is working in the midst of our waiting? You know, a lot of times I think we lose track of what's happening right now because we're so far focused on what's coming next. You even think about it like what we do in small talk. If you're hanging out with a high school student, what's the conversation about? Hey, like what university are you thinking about going to next? Are you going to junior college next? Are you going to trade school next? Are you going to university? What are you doing next? Once they're in college, what's the question lines? Hey, what are you gonna do for your first job? What's gonna be the first way you make money? All the single people in the room, what question are you getting asked more frequently than you ever wanna get asked? Like, man, like have you found Mr. or Mrs. Right yet? Once you get married, what question line starts? Hey, when are y'all gonna have kids? When are you gonna have your first kid? When are you gonna have your second? You gonna have a third? Gonna have a fourth? Gonna have a fifth? Once you have five, are you gonna homeschool or what? Like, what is happening? We're always focused, always looking at what's next instead of seeing the way that God is working in the now. And I want you to hear this, that God is not wasting a bit of your waiting in these seasons. That God is working to develop something in you before he does something through you. And so right now, what I want us to think of is like whatever waiting season you're in, I mean, what would it be like if we flipped the script and instead of focusing on what could be, we focus on what is and the way that God is working in our story I think that's what Elijah was able to do. That you see between the promise of God, hey, one day it will rain at your word, and the payoff of one day it actually rains, there's the season of waiting that Elijah's in. And I want you to hear that. That may be where you're at too, that you may be stuck between the promise of God and the payoff in the season of waiting. But I want you to hear this, that God is using that waiting. 
It's the first thing that I want us to understand that as followers of Jesus, we don't wait without hope, we wait with hope. That if you're in a season of waiting, here's a promise for you is that you wait with hope if you know Jesus, that he is carrying and guiding you through it. So we fast forward the story a bit. Three and a half years of drought. Not a drop of rain nor dew on the ground has happened. And then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, hey, it's time for you to go meet Ahab. That's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings 18, verse 17. Now, when Ahab saw Elijah, they hadn't seen each other for quite some time, Ahab says to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answers him, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. This is the false God that Jezebel and Ahab had pointed the people towards. The allegiance of Israel is focused on the worship of these false gods. He says this. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, if you're any good at math, 400 plus 450 equals 850. Elijah is saying, let's stack the odds against me. That, man, I'm, I'm it. I'm, I'm one prophet, but you've got 850, so let's have all of them come. We're about to have a good old-fashioned showdown. And so what happens is the people gather around, and then listen to what happens in verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and check out what he says. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. You think about this. Elijah has just set an unfair odd against him, 850 to one. Yet if you've got the God of the universe on your side, the odds don't matter. Then on top of that, he calls all these men out, and what he's saying to them is, man, when will you stop limping between two different opinions? See, Elijah has walked through this period of waiting, being held by the God of this universe. And it's as though he's casting shame on the people who have not walked the same way. And he said, why are you limping around between two opinions? It's like he's calling them a dog with a tail between its legs. That mean you have no confidence, you have no boldness. At the end of your season of waiting, you're not walking in confidence. And you're walking around limping around right now. And how long will you waver between these two opinions? Where is your confidence, Elijah is saying? Don't you remember that you're the people of God? You've seen the miraculous. Like your ancestors walked through a Red Sea when it was parted for you. You got to be a part of the promised land. You've seen God's favor. Do you continue to waver between these two opinions? So then Elijah comes up with a game plan. He says, here's what we're gonna do. Let's have a good old-fashioned showdown the prophets of Baal versus me. What we're gonna do is we're gonna take two bulls. You get to pick yours first. We're gonna slaughter the bulls. We're gonna place them onto an altar. And then we're gonna call down for fire from heaven. And whoever's God lights the bull on fire, that's the true God. So you prepare yours, I'll prepare mine. We're gonna call down fire, see what happens. The people say, let's do this. So the showdown begins. The prophets of Baal begin butchering their, their bull. They place it upon an altar. We pick it up in verse 26 and they begin calling on the name of Baal, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Check out what he says again. And they limped around the altar that they had made. One of the commentators that I was reading this week talked about how that when he talks about them limping, he was using terminology almost as though they were a lame man who had never walked before. 
Think about this, that Elijah stepping in bold, 850 to one, the group, the army that he is up against is downtrodden and weak with no confidence, no boldness. Why? Because they had no hope during their waiting. They had nothing to hang on to during their waiting. And so we continue to see what happens. Not only is there boldness in Elijah, there's a little bit of smack talk in Elijah. For all you kids of the 90s, there's a little bit of WWF action going on right now in Elijah. Like he is calling out the prophets of Baal. Listen to what happens in verse 27. At noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself, put a little star in that one, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Now, it's rare in scripture that we get a good defecation joke, but that just happened, y'all. And like this week, I spent a lot of time writing a whole lot of jokes about this moment in scripture, but none of them were my favorite. There was just a lot of solid number twos, and so I didn't use any of them today. I'm sorry, y'all, that was, a, that was one for the ages there, all right? Listen to what happens next, verse 28. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. You think about this scene that's unpacking. These men, who at the moment of their desperation had one of two paths to take, They begin cutting themselves, they begin lashing out, like blood is flowing, this is not a PG-13 moment of the Bible, this is without a doubt an R-rated film, that they're crying out to a God who's not answering. You see, as you walk through moment after moment in a waiting period, it does make us a little bit more desperate. But really, desperation can lead to one of two paths. In one path, it leads to a dependence on God, and in another path, it leads to destruction. These men, are feeling the destruction of their ways that as they're, they didn't have any dependency on anything that would hold. So in their moments of desperation, it led them to destruction, where for Elijah, it's led him to depend more and more on the Lord. And I wonder how often, like in our seasons of waiting, and I'm hoping you're not dancing around an altar with a bull and all the jazz that was happening here, but I wonder how often, like your season of desperation has led to destruction. That instead of dependency on Jesus, you begin using substance to get yourself through it. That it leads down this path of destruction that I'm trying to mask the pain of what I'm walking through. Instead of allowing that moment of desperation to drive you to the Lord, it drives you to something else. Think about the friendships that you might keep. That you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You think about the ones that in the moments of desperation, that instead of pointing you back to Jesus, they point you to some other idol, some other God, some other substance. That in our moments of desperation, is it leading you to dependence or is it leading you to destruction? Man, if you know Jesus, if you're wrapped up in his love, it can allow us to step into an intimacy with him unlike anything you've ever seen. I gotta imagine that's what Elijah felt as he was cared for, as he was carried through this moment of waiting and he came out of it confident. And y'all check this out, this isn't even the moment yet that's the payoff. That we got the promise of rain, this isn't the rain cloud. This is just a moment in the midst of his waiting that God is showing up. And I think that's something that you ought to know. That man, as you're waiting in these waiting moments of life, there are moments that you might not even realize that God is showing up in a big way. 
that maybe it's the text from a friend that says, man, I'm praying for you today. I know what you're walking through, I'm here. Did you know this? That that is the miraculous when that happens? That the spirit of God has placed something inside of your friend to shoot that text and to prompt them to pray for you. Like that's a miracle in motion that's just happened. Maybe it's that moment where the prodigal child finally sends a text message that says, hey dad, can I grab dinner with you sometime? Those are the miraculous moments that are happening in the season of waiting, that between the payoff and the promise, between the promise and the payoff, there's these moments of waiting, and maybe there's glimpses of the Lord moving that you've not noticed yet. So what's happened right here in this story. We keep reading in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Now Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Like for all the Bible scholars in the room, you think about this moment that these people are standing all around. This is the nation of Israel. They understand which tribe they are a part of. Yet in this moment I think they've forgotten their identity. And Elijah takes the first stone and he sets it. And I wonder if he goes, man, this is you, Benjamin. He takes the second stone, maybe this is you, Judah, and on and on he goes, reminding them of who they are, that in your moments of desperation, don't lose sight of who you are, that if you know Jesus, you are his kid, you are his child, you are the one that he loves, don't lose that in the moments of desperation. I think Elijah's reminding the people who they are. We keep reading in verse 32. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed, it's a large trench, and he put the wood in order and he cut the bull in pieces and he laid it on the wood and he said, fill four jars with water, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood and he said, do it a second time and they did it a second time. Then he says, do it a third time and they do it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Elijah was not walking with a limp, y'all. Elijah was walking with a boldness. Not only had he already set the odds against him, 850 to one, but now he's going, hey, remember we're doing this whole fire trial thing? Go ahead and just drench everything that I'm about to ask the Lord to burn up because there's gonna be no doubt in your mind that my God is who he says he is. So he fills it up with water to a point that it's overflowing. Verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Check this out. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up all the water that was in the trench and when all the people saw this, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Oh yeah, it's a moment, y'all. Hearts changed. The power of God on display, the fire coming down from heaven, Yet this wasn't even the payoff to the promise. But he was showing up in a very, very real way, wasn't he? And God was beginning to change the hearts of the men that were watching. Here's what I think we're finding in this. This is the second thing I want you to know today is that God does not waste our waiting. That God doesn't waste a bit of your waiting. That if you're in a waiting season of life, he's not wasting it. That in fact, you think about the history of scripture. All across the history of scripture, there are these waiting moments of life that were a part of the narrative of how God was moving. You think about Abraham. 
He's promised to be the father of many generations, of, many, of the nation of Israel. Like, you remember that song, Father Abraham had many sons? Y'all remember that from kids' choir? Remember that? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Welcome to Lake Point. We sing songs from old times, all right? They're like, Abraham was promised to be the, the father of generations, that his generations and his, uh, his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand and the sea. But there was a waiting period that him and Sarah had to walk through. You think about Noah. He had a waiting period with a lot of animals for a lot of time on an ark, right? You think about Joseph. He had a waiting time in prison before he was elevated to his position. You think about Job. He had a waiting period as his entire life fell apart. You think about Jesus, that he had a waiting period of three days in that tomb, and then one day he would rise again. Three days later, he rose again victoriously, and we're gonna celebrate that here in just a few short weeks at Lake Point. But you think about it, like God is not wasting the waiting. He is moving in those moments of waiting to draw you to him. So why have we despised it so long? What if we could flip the script and begin going, man, my goal is to walk through waiting well. How would we do it? I've got three things that honestly, if you're in a season of waiting, I've got three things that I think can help you walk through that season of waiting well. The first is this, that we've gotta begin trusting his timing. Listen to what Psalm 130 verse five says. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Like our job as followers of Jesus is not to jump ahead of God's timing, but to be patient in the moments of waiting. I mentioned earlier the story of Abraham and Sarah, and you think about that story, that Abraham has promised descendants aplenty, but he's got a wife and they're not getting any younger. So they continue to age up, no baby. They continue to try, no baby. How am I supposed to birth a generation if I don't have any sons, Abraham begins to say. Then his wife Sarah comes up with this idea, hey, why don't you sleep with my servant Hagar? Maybe the Lord will fulfill his covenant through her. So Abraham does this, and they give birth to a boy named Ishmael. Yet Ishmael was not the covenant that God had promised. They had jumped ahead of the timing that the Lord had. Some years later, Abraham and Sarah gave birth to a boy named Isaac. And if you know anything about these two boys' future, Isaac would go on to become one of the patriarchs of Judaism and in turn Christianity, where Ishmael would go on to become one of the patriarchs of another religion called Islam. That literally the Palestinian and Israeli conflict that we still are experiencing this day was dated back to a decision from Abraham and Sarah to jump ahead of God's timing. And I wonder how often for us, like we do the same and we jump ahead of God's timing and we birth an Ishmael. Do you think about this? If you're single in the room and you're sitting there going, man, I'm just ready to get married so bad, so I'm settling on Mr. Right now instead of Mr. Right. And can I just tell you this, that the only thing worse than being frustrated being single is being frustrated being married because you married somebody that God did not intend. So you jump ahead of God's timing and what have you done? You've birthed an Ishmael. You think about it, that instead of waiting for vengeance to be the Lord's, you take vengeance into your own hands. That the Lord is the God of justice, yet you say, man, it's my time to get mine, so I'm gonna get back at the person that wronged me. And it never fulfills. What have you done? You've birthed an Ishmael. You think about what happens whenever we go, man, there are things that I want and I think that I should have been given in life, things that, provisions that the Lord hasn't given me yet, so what do I do? I open credit card after credit card, I rack up debt after debt, and I think it's gonna fulfill, but it doesn't. What have I done? I've birthed an Ishmael that it never works to get ahead of God's timing. We've got to begin trusting his timing. It's one of the ways we're gonna walk well through the seasons of waiting. Not only that, we gotta trust his faithfulness. 
It's the second way that we walk well through seasons of waiting as we trust his faithfulness. Let me remind you what it says in 1 Kings 18, 37. It says, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. This is the beauty of who our God is, is that he is a God that is turning hearts. So you may have been praying for that prodigal child for a long time, don't stop praying. You may have been praying for the lost uncle or aunt for a long time. Don't stop pleading with the Lord to turn their heart. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker that man, you pray all the time that God would move in their hearts. And what I want you to say is like, don't stop that process. Don't stop asking the Lord to move. We've gotta trust his faithfulness that he is a God that changes hearts. We see it in this scripture and I'm sure you can see it throughout your life. We've gotta begin to trust his faithfulness. So we can trust his timing, we can trust his faithfulness, and we can trust his word. Did you know that the Bible is full of scriptures that help us through these seasons of waiting? I think about James chapter one. The James chapter one says, consider it pure joy, all the trials and tribulations of life, because what's happening is that as you persevere, it's creating in you a more complete faith. That the hardest times in life, as you persevere, your faith is being made more complete. I think about what Romans 8 says. It says, hey, I'm working all things for good for those who love me. And like, that's a great verse to like have on a plaque in your kitchen, but I want you to understand something about it. That the promise of all good, the payoff may be eternity. That we may get stuck in a waiting room between now and then, and we may never see the payoff until one day when we enter the gates of heaven. But I want you to understand this, that our God keeps his promises. And what's coming for us, for those that know Jesus, like it's better than what we can imagine. You've got to begin trusting his word with the promises that are built for you. So to walk well through that season of waiting, there's three ways. We're gonna trust his timing, we're gonna trust his faithfulness, and we're gonna trust his word. And here's what I want you to hear is that God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. If it is said in his word, he will fulfill it. So for those of us that know Jesus, we already know the ending of the story. But I want you to hear the ending to Elijah's story, the payoff moment, the moment where God keeps his promises. Verse 41, and Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. So seven times, the servant goes up, comes back, hey, Elijah, nothing's happening. Elijah says, go again. Uh, hey, Elijah, we've seen the, the, the same look for the past three and a half years. Nothing's changing in the sky. And Elijah says, go again. Seven times, he comes back. And the final time, the servant says, oh, Elijah, at the seventh time, behold, a little cloud, no bigger than a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And Elijah says, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. You think about this moment in scripture, the promise of rain, the season of waiting, and the payoff. The grounds begin to be nourished. The plants begin to spring up again. God has kept his promise. But for lots of us, we're in these waiting rooms of life, we're in these waiting seasons, and we know what could be coming, but what is God developing in you right now? So I wanna tell you a story that took place a long time ago. It's getting longer and longer the older I get in life. That uh, In college, I was a uh, fine arts major. I'm sure mom and dad were so proud, y'all. 
So I got my degree in fine arts, and one of the classes that I had to take uh, was a traditional photography class. Now, a lot of us, especially high schoolers in the room, you think of photography, you think of this guy, right? Like portrait mode, point fives, right? B-reels all day long. You can follow me, high schoolers. Uh, but back in the day, you used one of these guys to take photos. And what they taught us in this class was how to load it with film. So you'd put 35 millimeter film in, you'd wind it up if you remember these days. And they taught us how to develop the film that was inside the camera. So you'd go out on assignment, you'd have a different art project to do, you'd go shoot the film. And then the most important part the teacher said, it's not about the stuff you capture, but it's learning how to use the dark room. So there was a dark room set up on campus and we would wind the film up, we would take it in there and we would take the exposed film and begin to do some things with it. And you walked in this room, it was pitch dark. Not a bit of light, couldn't be any light in this room or it would ruin the film. So you'd take the film out carefully and you'd bathe it in some different chemical washes so that you could use it. And then you'd place the negative in a machine that would expose it. And a light would shine through the negative onto a piece of photo paper and it would expose different areas that on that photo paper would begin to be developed. And I tell you, the guys and gals that were really good at this became masters of the dark room that they could take some things that you'd shot out and about, maybe they were overexposed a bit or underexposed, but in the dark room, as they knew exactly how much light to put through that exposure and exactly what would develop, I mean, they could make a masterpiece out of it. And so, what does that look like for me and you? And I want you to hear this in your own story, that if you're in a season of waiting, you have a master dark room operator that is working to make a masterpiece of what you're working through. That he's developing something in you right now before he's gonna use that thing through you. That God is developing and exposing the areas that aren't like him right now. He's drawing, he's drawing you to himself right now. He is using the dark room of life to develop the things in you that he can only do in these moments of waiting. He's not wasting it. And so man, what I've asked right now is I've asked for our worship team uh, to come out and this is not a time that this service is over. I'm gonna really ask this. Don't move from your seats. Don't get up and try to beat the parking lot crowd. Stay put right where you are in this moment. This is a moment for you. So if you need to kneel where you are, if you need to stand where you are, if you wanna stay seated, I want this song to be a reflection for you to sit under and be reminded of the goodness of God, that he's working in your waiting and he's not wasting a single morsel. So would you hang tight and allow our worship team to sing this song over you? There's never been a 
thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake